Hello everyone, Kim Langling here, your host of Let Fear Bounce. Glad you're joining me today. Sit back, relax, grab that cup of coffee or your favorite beverage. Let's listen in as I chat with Landis Wade. He is an author and a podcaster coming to us from North Carolina. Hello, hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Let Fear Bounce and I am so pleased that you are spending just a small portion of your day with myself and my special guest today, Landis Wade. He is an author and podcaster. He is also a recovering trial lawyer and host of the popular Charlotte Readers podcast where he has conducted more than 300 author interviews whose third book, The Christmas Redemption, won the holiday category of the 12th Annual National Indie Excellence Awards. He resides in North Carolina, where he writes and podcasts, visits with his grandchild, and fly fishes. His love of history has led to his newest novel, The Deadly Decorations. Landis, thank you so much, and welcome, welcome to Let Fear Bounce. I am so pleased that you are joining me today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I love, uh, I've been listening to your show and like the, uh, I just love the title too, Left Your Bounce. It's great. Well, thank you. Thank you. That came in the midst when the world changed and I thought, <laughs> I'm not going to let fear rule my days. I'm going to let it bounce. And that's actually how it came about. <laughs> well, you know, it's, and you're an author too. So you know that uh, fear is uh, ever present uh, in the minds of authors that we're always fearing something we're, fe- we're fearing fearing whether they, is anybody gonna like my book you know is it is are they gonna read it are they gonna show up in my you know next uh, event uh what am i gonna write now you know so there's a lot of fear in there so i think this idea of embracing it uh letting it bounce and move forward is great yeah i i the way i look at it is acknowledge it embrace it and then chuck it to the curb where it belongs because we've got things to do yeah <laughs> I, I, I love it so you you've done a lot you were a trial lawyer for 35 years that's a long time so that's you know that's a lifetime career right there and now you're an author how did that transition take place yeah well you know I was experiencing conflict on a daily basis uh, as a trial lawyer I did uh, commercial sort of high stakes commercial civil litigation and employment litigation so I've been doing that for a long time and the legal profession was changing and all this conflict that was going on. And I started writing a little bit. And I thought it was fun to write about conflict than to experience it on a daily basis. <laughs> so, so, you know, so, so while I was still in the throes of trying lawsuits, uh, you know, I cranked out my first book and kind of as a gift to my family and put it under the tree and they thought I'd given them socks or something. But anyway, you know, I, I went forward and decided that was fun. And so I was kind of, practicing by day and writing, you know, by night and having a good time with it and uh, wrote, wrote a trilogy, you know, toward the end of my career and then decided, hey, this is kind of fun. I think I want to do this more uh, in my next act, uh, along with some other creative things. And that's when I decided to kind of pull the plug on the legal profession uh, and do some creative things in my 60s. So now in your books and any upcoming books, anything you might have in your scrap folder or on the back burner, do you use, and I'm assuming that you do, things that you have come across within that 35 years of being a trial lawyer? Yeah, you know, when you go to court, as much as I have over my career and you've engaged with lawyers on the other side, whether you remember everything that happened or not, you know, it sort of infuses into your system and, and you remember and the, the sense of it, you know, and so 
having that sense of it has allowed me to use my creative side to go straight into the courtroom scenes and to go straight into these legal issues. I, I write what's, I think someone described it uh, best I like is a lighthearted legal thriller. Okay, so, you know, I wanna have a little humor in the courtroom. Uh, I don't have a little humor in what goes on because lawyers sometimes we don't laugh enough, right? So we're always serious. I mean, one of the things about lawyers is one of those professions, uh, you know, where there's a lot of depression. I think dentists are up there too. I don't know why we, we're, we're aligned with dentists, but, but, but I think it's because we're always seeing the, the glasses half full in the sense that we're looking for those things that our client needs to be worried about to protect against. So it's not a very optimistic view. You know, you got to watch out for this. You got to watch out for this. You got to watch out for that. Got to be careful of this, careful of that, do this, do that, do that. So I had to kind of got to have a brain shift a little bit, but I still remember that mentality. And, uh, I remember the feeling of it. And, you know, somebody asked me about different judges I put in my books and they go, was that judge so-and-so? And I say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say yes. I'm not going to say no. <laughs> you know, after they're dead, we can talk about it. You know? <laughs> yeah. I would, that was going to be one of my next questions too. Have you built some of your characters with some of the characteristics of folks that you came across over, over that 35 year span? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's been a composite in various cases, but I've, I've come across judges that were, you know, very hard on the lawyers in the courtroom, but very uh, just and reasonable, too. I mean, you know, they'd pull you aside and tell you certain things, but they're going to run a courtroom like a tight ship. And so sometimes that comes through in a way that makes that particular judge look like, you know, kind of an evildoer, right? But then you pull them to the side and they've got a different side of their personality. So I like to infuse that into the characters, too. That sounds great. And it's probably fun to do that. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's a lot of fun. I mean, I, I, I love going into the courtroom and making things happen uh, that put the lawyers in a difficult spot uh, because I was always there myself. And, you know, the great thing is uh, somebody asked me about, the, you know, the courtroom scenes I write. And I said, you know, it's so nice to be able to, for once, control the narrative of what goes on in the courtroom. Because whenever I went, no matter how much preparation you did, something's going to happen and you know it's not going to go according to plan and that's why we have an adversary system you got two sides and both sides are working hard to win well when you're writing it you can make it turn out any way you want to yeah. <laughs> a, lot, a, a lot less stressful right that's right that's right you know and it's interesting because i i worked i worked in a law firm for 10 years uh with a criminal attorney and a personal injury attorney and so i've seen a lot of what you're talking about, because often I would be in the courtroom with them or providing stuff or running back and forth across the diamond frantically to take up extra stuff to them. You know, yep. and so, yeah, I, I understand kind of a little bit of the realm that you were in and how you can pull definitely pull character traits from judges, other attorneys, clients, how that could that could be a tremendous amount of fun putting that together <laughs> yeah, you know and it's you know like you know when you write a book it's like uh, putting a puzzle together to some extent and one of the nice things about uh practice of law is that they call it the practice for a reason lawyers don't know everything you have to go look up stuff right and so you might have handle a case you've never done the substantive aspect of it you know how to try a case but you got to go research it so i kind of keep my brain sharp by trying to come up with different kinds of courtroom cases to put in my books uh, that I have to go do a little research. Like in the latest book we're going to talk about, uh, it was a will contest. You know, somebody's challenging 
uh, a will. Well, I've never tried one of those cases before, but I did a little research, had fun doing it. And then from what I knew about courtrooms, I was able to kind of weave that into the narrative. I like that you said you've got a little humor mixed in. You know, it's like there, yeah. it's a lighthearted thriller. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you got to have breathing room, right? I mean, you can't, everything can't, can't be so tense that, you, you know, at the end of the night, you, you can't go to sleep, right? So <laughs> when, when you're reading. Uh, so I like to put those breathers in there. I like to have characters that, uh, you know, some of them are you know, kind of quirky and humorous. And I got a lot of that by this book we're going to talk about by setting it in a retirement community. Uh, because there's a lot of fun things that go on there. But still, even in the courtroom, I like to throw some humor in because, you know, there are witnesses that show up and they're people, they're human beings, they're all different, different personalities. And they're going to say and do some things, they're going to crack the jury up, crack the judge up if he, can keep, if he or she can keep a smile from showing up in front of the jury. And those things happen, you know. And so I like to throw that in to kind of tamp down on some of the seriousness just to give the reader a little break. So, and I'm sure that your readers appreciate it. It keeps them wanting to come back for more because like you had mentioned just a minute ago, you used the word quirky. And I love that word. And I love characters that are quirky in books because it does make me say, oh gosh, I hope there's another one coming soon. Yeah, well, I mean, my whole first trilogy was quirky because it was about uh, lawyers representing individuals who thought they worked for Santa Claus. And uh, you know, they had to prove that Santa was real in order to win their court cases. So lots of fun things happen, you know, in that court, blending fantasy with reality and judges that don't really have a lot of patience for lawyers who represent people who think they work for Santa Claus. So anyway, that, that, that was fun and quirky too. Instead of elves, this time I've got retirement community residents. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Now, your most recent one, is it available right now? It's available now um, on ebook, depending on when this episode releases. April 4th is when the print book and the audio book come out. And so yeah, it'll be out there. You know, um, Amazon Kindle has it at the moment, but it'll be everywhere books can be found on, on April 4th yeah, or April 5th. Awesome. Well, regardless, it's coming out right. the first week of April. <laughs> there you go. You got, yeah. I'll hire you as my publicist there. There you go. Get, get me on track there. Okay. No, I'm off track. I don't know what I'm talking about. Tuesday is April 5th. Okay. Okay. Well, I was half right. Yeah. <laughs> I'll stick with the first week of April. <laughs> hey, hey, yeah, that, that works. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we're going to get back to that because I want to hear a little bit more about that, what you can share without, you know, giving anything sure. away. But you had mentioned part of your bio, you hit uh, your creativity in the third, life's third act. Right. Explain why you decided to call it that, life's third act. Okay. So everybody who's written a novel knows uh, about the three-act structure of a book, right? I kind of liken um, you know, life to having a three-act structure. You come into the world kicking and spring, screaming. That's kind of the inciting incident, you know? And then, you know, you grow up and you go to college or you don't, and then you kind of get into the middle phase. That's what some authors call the muddy middle. You know, you got to make it interesting to make it work. And then, you know, as you get to the end, it's got to get more exciting. And then there's a denouement and then you, and the book's over, the end, right? So at the exciting part, which is what I hope I'm in now, you know, that's when I want to call it act three. I've been working. I've been in that muddy middle for, for 35 years as a lawyer. Now, it was fun. I, I had a good time. But now it's the excitement of producing creative content. So I, I like to think of that as my act three, something that's exciting as I move toward the end, which I hope is going to be a long book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Want to right. keep on going for a while. I want, I want Act Three to go for a while. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. 
Well, it just it caught my interest because I I've been saying since I entered my fifties a few years ago. I I've been saying you know I've I've hit a different season in life now. So you're saying act, and I I say it's along the same lines. Only sure. I say I'm in a different season. And I had reached personally my season where it's like, you know what, I've always had this creativity in me, but I've never had the opportunity or the time to really, really dig into it and find out all what I'm capable of, you know, because it was all you're a parent, you know, a spouse, a parent running around, you're constantly busy, you're working full time, taking care of the house, what have you, whatever it is that you do. And then all of a sudden, you don't have all that extra stuff anymore that's been taken so much of your time. And then you can really, you know, look back or look at your spot where you're in right now and say, what do I want to do? And what a blessing that is to be able to say, I am going to embrace what I've been wanting to do for years. And it sounds like you've done just that. Yeah. And I love your use of the word season. My wife the other day said, you know, to everything, there's a season and, and, you know, she's right. Uh, and you're onto the same idea here is that, uh, you know, my kids are gone out of the house. They're, you know, self-sufficient, <laughs> got jobs, all that good stuff. I'm not going to Little League games anymore. I'm not coaching the basketball team anymore. I'm, I don't have those extra outlets. So writing and podcasting was a nice extra outlet to have. It's a creative side to do. And so um, when I turned 61 and decided to retire from the law firm, uh, I told my dad, I was, who was alive at the time, I said, Dad, I'm going to start a podcast. And he said, podcast he says what's that and I said uh, well you know it's where I talk to people and he says well how much do you get paid for that and I said well dad it's not really about getting paid and he, and he kind of looked at me as if to say didn't I teach you anything in all the years that, that I raised you and so you know I went into this podcasting thing not knowing a thing about it just thinking it would be a nice way to uh, connect with other authors learn about what they do probably similar to what you do and it's been a blessing to me to have a uh, you know, these 300 interviews because uh, it delayed this fourth book for about three years because I was really into podcasting, but I was really learning too. And it allowed me to develop the story that I really wanted to tell. And so that break really helped my writing too. Oh, I imagine it would. I mean, and mm -hmm. podcasting, I, we were talking off mic prior to, you know, starting this. And I, that's how I started podcasting. I just mm -hmm. looked into it, thought it sounded interesting and started doing it. Hey, didn't do it thinking it would be my main source of income or anything like that. I did it because I like to talk to people. I like to hear about their stories and their journeys. And I, you know, everyone has a message of some sort and it's usually a positive one. And why not share that with the world? So, you know, yeah. that's, that's why I did it. And I started a little over a year ago. And I think this is about my 95th episode with you right here. So, you know, and I'm just having a blast and the people I have met from all over the world, never would have had that opportunity to before. Yeah, and I tell, you know, authors that sometimes ask, you know, how do I promote my book? How do I build my platform? I said, you know, don't just go start a podcast to do that. But, you know, if you start a blog or you do certain things where you're promoting other authors and you're helping them, in addition to broadening your literary community, who might come back and blurb your book, as many of my guests did for this novel, uh, you're also going to learn, you know, from the process. And that was the biggest thing that I took away from this three-year period, uh, and since you've done so many in a year, which is fantastic, congratulations on that, you know, the idea is that uh, when we're talking to other authors, we learn 
that we're not alone about all the things that are going on in the afterworld, like, for example, fear and rejection being one, for example. Oh, exactly. Exactly. And yeah. I and I'm sure you've you've had over 300 interviews with different authors. And it seems like almost everyone that ends up on my podcast is an author. It, I didn't plan it that way, but that just seems to be how it's worked out, which I love because I'm an author myself. And it's so interesting to me. And I learned something without fail. There's always a little nugget that's tossed out that I will write down and keep from the, my, my guests. And that's from, you know, horror novelists to sci-fi, to romance, to nonfiction, to fiction, you know, and types of things like the thrillers or humorous thrillers that you write. And so I've gotten to be able to step into many different realms of writing because it's so, there's so many of them that my brain just wouldn't go there. That's just not how my brain is wired. I write nonfiction. That's what I'm really into. Starting to do a little fiction. It's been a side project and it, it will go out this year. That's my plan. It will go out this year, but it's been such an interesting ride. And I, I'm sure that, cause we basically do the same thing, which was interesting to find out because you talk to authors all the time. Do you find that the same thing? You're talking to folks that write all different kinds of stuff which it could, some of it could be dry, some of it could be hilarious, you know, scary, what have you. Have you been able to glean little nuggets from yeah. all the folks that you've talked to over the years? Absolutely. I mean, I, I have a question that I generally ask on the podcast toward the end, which was something like this. Uh, if you could tell your younger self uh, something helpful about writing that had you known it when you first started writing uh, novels, if you could tell that younger person that it would have helped them. And it's amazing how many authors from the New York Times bestsellers uh, to the most recent ones will say, just be patient, just relax, write what, you know, you enjoy writing and study the craft. Those, those kind of are the kind of themes that, you know, perc percolate from that. Don't get caught up in chasing the market. You know, you'll never catch up <laughs> by the time you figure it, it. By the time you write that Harry Potter book, they're on to something else, you know. Uh, but yeah, I learned things like, uh, you know, John Hart was on the show and he focused, he said, I said, what's more important to you, plot or character? And he said, absolutely character. He said, you know, you can have um, a mediocre plot and great characters and people will still love your book. You can have a great plot and lousy characters and they, they're going to stop reading, you know, about a fourth of the way through. And I think that's so true, you know. And so, you know, I think authors sometimes get so caught up uh, in trying to plot things and plot's important that they forget that, uh, you know, the characters are going to keep people engaged in the story. And so those are the kind of things. I, other things, I mean, you know all this stuff too. Start in the middle where the action is, keep the pace moving, try to have a three-act structure. And then, you know, good all good writing is rewriting. I learned that. I mean, you know, you, you, you basically, the first couple of drafts is just kind of getting the story out there. But all these authors spend lots and lots of time uh, rewriting their work. And the interesting thing is that I learned too is thankfully, not everybody ascribes to, you know, the Julia Cameron method that you have to write every morning or, you know, so many words because I don't do that. You know, everybody approaches writing from a different way and that's okay. Everybody's different in how they approach it. Oh, I agree. Because I'm, I'm not one that has a structured time each day that I write. When something comes to me, I sit down and write it. Right. Yeah. Or if I'm out walking, because when I'm out, I'm outdoors a lot. I love being outside and walking with my dog. That's where a lot of my ideas or stories come. And I just talk, speak it into my phone. And then I'll get back in and type it down. 
then I walk away and let it simmer. That's why I always say I let it simmer for a day or two. And then I'll come back and say, well, that was pretty brilliant, Kim. Your, your brain, you were on fire that day. Or sometimes I'll read it and say, wow, you weren't having a very good day at all. <laughs> I, I need to take that tip and carry my phone because I don't know how many times I've been on a walk or a ride and I've had these great ideas. And by the time I get to where I'm going, I've forgotten what I thought about. It. So having that recorder and doing it right then is a good idea. Yeah, I do that all the time because you never know when an absolutely brilliant thought is going to strike you. Yeah. <laughs> We don't want to lose our brilliance. <laughs> no, not at all. And, you know, and as I said, you know, people come at it different ways and they sometimes ask, well, you know, are you an outliner? Are you a pantser? And I think I've decided I'm a pants liner. I don't know if they've come up with that yet, but I kind of sometimes like to write by the seat of my pants. Sometimes I think and plot it out, but I'm more of a binge writer. Um, when I figure out what I want to write, I can sit down and write a a lot of words, but if I don't have anything to write, I'm not going to sit down and punish myself, you know, and st right. st stare at the screen. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, everybody, I've learned that everybody has a different way of approaching it. And that's great. Um, I've had editors on, I've had different people to talk about that process. And the editor in my book has a great uh, piece of advice. She says, uh, you know, through the editing process, you should do four things. You should add, subtract, reorder, and clarify. And if you can, because you think about it, you know, and authors sometimes are, until they've been through it a few times and they realize it's okay to kill off those darlings, right? But, you know, subtracting is very important, but a lot of times subtracting leads to better ideas, which leads to adding. And also the adding component is where you're kind of cleaning up the manuscript and coming up with, you know, putting more emotion into it, taking out some of the taglines, getting rid of the cliches, you know, that's part of that adding process and uh, the reordering is you know when you're starting with all that background material cut it out and like I don't know who said it but somebody said you know there was a publisher somewhere that said you know I loved, loved your book but it started on page 50 you know and that's because that's where it got interesting so if you start your book on page 50 I'm interested in your novel <laughs> <laughs> well you know honest feedback yeah honest yeah. feedback you know and I I've I've even said to my editor, and I, I'm blessed to have a, a wonderful editor that I get along with very well, but she's, you know, she's ruthless. Mm -hmm. And I tell her, please be ruthless yeah. and don't try and spare my feelings. And she said, oh, I won't. <laughs> yeah, my, my editor uh, tells me it's not her job to make me comfortable. And I said, that's fine. <laughs> and she's right. They have a job to do. You know, yeah. so I have to, I, I work with, I, I do collaborative book projects. So I might have 20 different people that are participating as co-author in a book and some of them have never written before. And when their edited piece comes back, they don't know how to take it. So I'm always trying to explain to them, put your thick skin on. It's nothing personal, but this book isn't going to go out unless it's really good. We want to make your story the best that it can possibly be because you're giving. No matter what you write, how long you've been writing, if you're writing and you're putting it out into the world, that's a gift. And it's no longer fully yours. I, I agree 100%. I would offer this little, from my own experience, advice, because every time I wrote a book, I thought, well, I'm getting better. It won't be as much editing this time. And, you know, every time the editing would come in, I'd get all grousy and upset because you know I thought I had this manuscript that was in really good shape I had all these comments and marks and everything so my advice is when you get those feedbacks from the editor read it but don't react immediately you know put it aside 
you know, let it rest for a week, take some walks, do something, think about the things that you've uh, been given and think of it as a gift in the sense that there might be, you know, maybe you're not going to agree on 100% of them, but, but you know, there's going to be some good ideas that come out of that feedback. Maybe you're not going to change it the way the editor suggested, but you're going to come up with a better idea than what it was when you sent it to your editor. So I'll just take that little break, take that breather, because, you know, every time I think, oh, I'm not going to have many edits this time, and they all come in and go, gosh, dog it, you know, and, <laughs> and then, you, you know, have to go take a walk, go play golf, go fly fish and do something, and then come back. And then when I come back to it, I, every, every time when I come back to it, I can say, okay, I can see the point. And, you know, I, I've tried to ascribe to the theory that if something's not clear, either to my beta readers, to my editor, it's not their fault. It's my fault as the author. And so with that notion in mind, which is not something I inherited uh, from the mentality of a lawyer, because all lawyers think they're right in their position, right? So, and we're, we're the hardest ones to take feedback when it comes to our writing. So uh, I'm actually going to talk to lawyers about how if they study fiction, uh, it'll help them in their legal careers. And this is one of the things I'll tell them is to accept feedback you know, from others, because it can always be better uh, than it is. Absolutely. And I completely agree. And, mm -hmm. and sometimes, sometimes you almost, you do, you take it personal and, you know, your feelings might get hurt at times. And I learned very quickly years ago to sit there, like you said, I walk away, I let it simmer and then I'll come back mm -hmm. and reread it. And, you know, the notes and everything that they've provided. And I'll sit there and say, wow, that makes so much sense. Why didn't I think of doing that when I first was writing it? And for me, like you said, you sit down and you can binge write. That's what I do. I just sit down and I can go for two or three hours and then look up and go, oh, it's dark outside. <laughs> you know? And then, yeah. then I let that sit for a while and then I'll come back and read it, you know, but I, I actually like having my things edited and I like to see what they've changed or tweaked because sometimes just changing one word can like make a huge difference. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of new authors, it's very hard. That's, it's hard to swallow being told, you know, you're using so many that's, why are you using the word that <laughs> all over the place? You know, <laughs> those filler words and all those little things that you learn as you go. But yeah. I welcome, I welcome the comments from my editor and she, she often chuckles at me because she says you're, you're uh, a unique, a unique client. <laughs> yeah. well, I'm like, yeah. Rip it apart. I want to hear what you have to say. <laughs> the, the other thing I learned uh, in this transition, because you learn each time you write a book is don't be too quick to send it to your editor either. Spend some time yourself working on the things, you know, search your manuscript for words that end in L-Y search for your manuscript for words that show up over and over again so that you can already start working on putting different words in there. Um, run it through pro writing or some form like that to make sure you're getting the active voice instead of the passive voice so your editor doesn't have to spend your dollars and their time you know, doing that. And go through that and do three or four drafts or five drafts yourself and then send it to the editor when you think it's perfect. And then when it comes back and it's not perfect, then go out and take a walk. Yeah, <laughs> come back right. To it. right. But that does help a lot um, because sometimes authors say, well, I want to send it to the editor and either have them bless it or just give me, you know, tell me how to fix it. And that may cost you a lot of money. It may, it, it may be disappointing to you because it really isn't as far along as it could be. So uh, don't be in too much of a hurry to send it to your editor before you've worked it over a number of times. Oh, absolutely. Yes three, four, five, maybe more. 
<laughs> exactly. And I'm glad that you mentioned ProWriter because I know a lot of folks, myself included, I use Grammarly and ProWriter, and that really does help you. It And it takes a little bit, for me anyway, it takes just a smidge of stress off because I just keep going and going and going. And then if I run it through one of those programs and you're sitting there going, oh, silly me, what was I thinking? You know, but I wasn't, I was just dumping, you know, I, I call it vomiting words out because once it, once it starts swirling and going, I have to get those out. So those are two great programs. I'm sure there are many others out there that, that authors and, and such can, you know, use to help them on your writing journey. And like you mentioned, you know, using the passive voice, because I get that little notice <laughs> all the time <laughs> saying, this is passive. And I'm like, oh, I keep doing that. You know? yeah. <laughs> so what type of things do you personally like to read? Yeah, so I have, I grew up kind of reading a series, uh, legal thrillers, adventure stories. And you know, I read John Christian and Scott Turow and but, you know, I read uh, all the Clive Custler novels. Uh, you know, I read... Uh, Baldacci? I've read Baldacci. I had him on the show, and I've read all his books. Uh, so, you know, that, and, and I just, I kind of get into a series. I also kind of fell in love with these uh, naval series histories, Dudley Pope and C.S. Forrester and Alexander Kent, uh, you know, the, the, the Hornblower series and the Ramage series. Those come with like 20 or 21 books, and if you're if you get into those characters, you can really zip through them. So I like to do that. And uh, I love historical fiction too. I read, I used to read some Leon Uris and some Herman Wolk and, uh, you know, those kind of things. But my favorite book of all time was Larry McMurtry's Lonesome Dove. And, uh, you know, just, I love that adventure. And it was just a lot of fun. And uh, of course, there's To Kill a Mockingbird and Harper Lee. And I liked Amar Tolls too, he, uh, Gentleman in Moscow. I enjoyed that book. Um, but, you know, when I read, I just... I like to have an escape. Uh, now, on the podcast, like you mentioned earlier, uh, I, I didn't follow up there, but we're reading a lots of different things that we don't normally read because I gave you a certain category of things that I like, you know, mysteries, adventures, naval history. But on the podcast with Arthur and Authors, I've had literary fiction, I've had some horror, I've had some romance, I've had, you know, so I've read poetry. And so um, I think by reading outside those genres that you either write in or love to read for escapes, you can learn a lot too. And I have learned a lot by reading uh, outside, you know, what I write in. Yeah, I've learned a lot and I'm beginning to enjoy it more. And I don't know why I hadn't done it earlier, you know, decades ago, but reading poetry and reading haikus and writing haikus. That writing haikus, and I, I use that as a tip to people all the time. And I have a little workshop that I've given to, to total newbie writers. And the tip is, you know, write a haiku, that five, five syllable, seven syllable, five syllable. And that is really going to tighten up your writing. And it's not as easy as people think at first. Me, I love doing it. And so I keep a little tablet. If something pops in my head, I'll be like, oh, make a haiku of that. And then maybe you can do something with it later. But that's just something fun for me. But it's also, it's, it really helps you tighten things up. So I love reading poetry and haikus and seeing how they've formed it how they've shaped it because to me they're painting me a picture and if they can do it in 15 words or less and I've gotten this full picture I'm like wow they're a brilliant writer I want to learn more you know <laughs> yeah and for me it's writing uh sort of uh short essays I, I, I love doing that um you know the, the truth the side of things it's, it's not fiction 
but uh, it, it, so it's a different what I normally write with the novels and, and the fiction. And that helps you know, test my brain. Plus, I've gotten into Wordle lately uh, <laughs> with the New York Times, <laughs> trying to figure out the five letter words. I've, been, I've only been doing it now two weeks, but I'm kind of hooked on it. You know, every time I get up, I want to do it. I'm addicted to it. Yeah. <laughs> Every day. There was I've only addicted. been I've only been stumped once. I mean completely yeah. stumped. And then I saw the next day some news article or something on Facebook and it said, you know, like a huge percentage of the population that's been playing Wordle was stumped yesterday and I'm going, I was one of them. I couldn't get it. But well, and then I get you know, really hard ones that I don't think I would get and I'm like, I got it in two. Well, by, by the time this comes out, the one that almost stumped me today, I, I was having a hard time with, uh, and I hope you've already done it. But don't uh, tell me because I haven't done uh, it yet okay. this morning. Okay, well, I won't tell you. But but the word I'll just say this: the word ended in an e, and there wasn't an l in front of it, and that stumped me. I could not figure out how to get there. So, uh, but I finally did. I finally did. I finally got it. But uh, it was fun. Yesterday's, and it's so funny because when you get it, you're going. Oh. <laughs> I know. You know, well, no one can see what I just did, but I just hit myself in the forehead like, duh, why didn't you get that sooner? Right. <laughs> I'm enjoying that. I'm enjoying Wordle. It keeps keeps my brain, keeps my brain going. So as we get, this has been an awesome conversation. I could talk to you for much, much longer, but we are going to get ready to wrap things up. I want you to share where folks can get your books at, when you wrote them, what they're called, whatever it is that you want to share about your previous books, the one that's coming up here in the first week in April your website, where folks can find out more about you. Okay, that's great. I really appreciate that. So they can go to landisway.com, L-E-N-D-I-S-W-A-D-E.com. Uh, you'll find the uh, all, all the books are there. And uh, the first books are the, the trilogy, the Christmas Courtroom Trilogy, uh, the, the Christmas Heist, the Legally Binding Christmas, and the Christmas Redemption. Uh, and now what's coming out uh, is my My Heart Legal Thriller, uh, Deadly Declarations, um, it is a mystery set in the modern day in Charlotte, North Carolina, with an unlikely trio of retirees at a retirement community who team up to solve several uh, mysteries when a 96-year-old resident dies. When he dies, they, when they find his body, his manuscript on the Mecklenburg Declaration of Independence is missing, and they find a handwritten will where he's left his uh, $50 million to the most despised resident at the end and cut his only heir's granddaughter, his loving granddaughter, out of his will. So these, uh, this lawyer, he gets kicked out of his law firm and ends up in a retirement community, doesn't want to be there. Uh, he's moping, he's lost his wife, he thinks his life is over, meets these two other retirees who kind of encourage him, one of whom's got a sense of humor, the other whom is a woman who keeps the men in line, and they encourage him to go challenge this will in court for the, for the granddaughter, uh, and it kind of sends him down a dangerous path uh, because it starts releasing all these clues about this 250-year-old mystery of the first American Declaration of Independence, believe it or not, which was signed one year before the Declaration of Independence. This is a true story. Uh, and so I've wrapped the truth in there with the imagination. Um, and I say they might discover it if they don't die trying. Now that book, as I said earlier, it comes out uh, early April, as you said, first week of April, we won't tie into the date itself, but it is gonna be available. It's also available online. And so, yes, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. I hope uh, folks check it out, landisway.com. Oh, I, I definitely, I firmly believe that people will. And I love reading those kind of books because that's that's something I read a lot. I I read at least a book a week, at least sometimes two books a week. So I'm an avid reader and I read like to read a lot of different things. And what you were just talking about, you know how you get in your little kicks where you're going to read this same kind of book for a while and maybe three or four months down the road, you're like, oh, I'm tired of that. I think I'm going to try this. You know, yeah, so yeah. 
right now I actually happen to be right in one of those little kicks oh, where that's good. what you write is what I'm reading. So well, and that, and so because I like what this uh, what I've done, I'm going to write a series, and the idea is I'm going to tie modern day mysteries to historic mysteries set in Charlotte, North Carolina. So the first one involved the Mecklenburg Declaration of Independence. The next one I'm going to be working on is going to involve the gold rush of the 1830s in Charlotte. So awesome! That yeah. sounds awesome, yeah. and I I yeah. can't wait to check them all out. Thank you. <laughs> Well, thank you, Landis, so much for being on Let Fear Bounce. This has been a true pleasure. I've enjoyed every minute of it. And I'd love to have you on uh, again sometime where you can talk about your newest release and then whatever that is you've got uh, sitting on the back burner that you just mentioned. But maybe a few months time, we can have you back on and we can chit chat again and you can share with my viewers all the wonderful things you're working on. Kim, I really appreciate it. I applaud what you're doing. I know how much work goes into it, but I know the pleasure you get out of it as well. But I I do really appreciate it. Uh, and if folks want to check out charlottereaderspodcast.com or just you know put Charlotte Readers Podcast in your Apple or Spotify or whatever, you'll find it. Uh, I have a weekly release there. And uh, for my 300th coming in June, I'm going to have CJ Box on for his latest novels. So it be a lot of fun. But thank you so much, Kim, for having me on the show. Oh, you are more than welcome. More than welcome. So everybody, once again, I am Kim Langling, your host of Let Fear Bounce. Thanks again for spending just a bit of your day with myself and my guest, Landis Wade, author and podcaster. Tune in next week when we have another guest coming up to share a bit of their story with you. So everyone be well, stay well, and be blessed.